I think somebody needs to, to, to hear this morning and believe that God is faithful. Maybe even during that prayer time as, as we were out praying for one another, maybe you were listening and you were agreeing, but maybe in the back of your head you're still thinking, you know what, I just don't know. He might have been faithful there, but I don't know about my situation. Let me just tell you, I don't know who this is for, but let me just tell you this morning that God is faithful. When his servant asked for the son to stand still, he asked in utter belief that God would accomplish that task, and God did. And then when he said move again, it moved again. There's so many examples throughout Scripture, and I know you may think, well, the, the Bible, that's just a dusty old book, and, and so maybe you don't want to rely on the things that were done in the Bible because that was, that was God in Bible time, not God in today's time. But let me encourage you that today there are witnesses all over this room that would say, God has been faithful in my life. He has moved mountains in my life. And I'm sure any number of them would be happy to share that with you, that testimony of what God's done in their life. So I need you to hear this morning, God is faithful. God is for you, for your good and for his glory. That's, that's our God. So understand that and believe that, please, this morning. Last week, um, Dave did a good job at the end of the gathering sharing some of the opportunities to serve our city uh, this summer and beyond. Uh, I know summer is the, the time of vacation, and it looks like we didn't get the memo. Everybody's on vacation today. Uh, but thank you for being here. Uh, so summer's the time of vacation. It's the time of rest and relaxation. Uh, but we said, you know what? We don't want to do that this summer. We want to ramp up. We want to, we're, we're get almost six months into this thing, or right at actually today, or yesterday, six months in uh, to this church plant. And so we said, uh, we want to ramp up. We want to get going. We want to move faster. We want to do more for this community. And so uh, Dave shared some different things that we could do um, here in this community. And, and I think we started off very well. Uh, while meeting in the house last year, kind of that pre-launch phase that we had where we're meeting in a home, and, and I think we did really, really good uh, during that. We were serving Habitat for Humanity once a month, often even more than that by staffing some of their fundraisers and some of their, some of their events. Uh, we were supporting and giving financially, supporting Young Life and Greater Greenwood United Ministries uh, and helping out there uh, with, with whatever we could in that area. Uh, our launch team was pouring into the homeless at Pathway House in any way that we could at that time. We were even finding time, money, and ways to serve individuals, like just, just people that we knew of, needs that we knew of in the community, in the church, whatever it might be, widows, broke college students, whatever. Uh, but, but church, if I'm being honest, I feel like we've dropped the ball a bit since launching back on New Year's Eve. And I say that as a collective we, no fingers are pointed at you that are not also pointed at myself or our staff or our leadership, understand that. And you see, we knew, here's the thing, this is, we knew that, uh, that in launching, in moving from the pre-launch in the house phase where there was very little, you know, overhead, very little things to, to do and to get in order and to make happen, it was, it was very easy. We just showed up and moved some chairs and couches around and piled into a house, and, and it was simple, and so there wasn't as much to actually do, so, but we knew that whenever we moved to launching, uh, the actual launch would be a busy time. Things might get pushed aside a little. We knew that, and, uh, and we had to be focused on, on launching the church so that we could continue serving and loving this community, but I feel that this summer is time to return to the three main pillars on which this church was originally founded. I think we are hitting the first one pretty well, 
Uh, we wanted to be a church that reached the unchurched and the dechurched. Uh, we said that from the very beginning, really any new church plant, that's what you should want to do. You want to reach the unchurched and the dechurched. Uh, well, really, the unchurched is the main thing, but we felt led, I felt led uh, to say, you know what, I believe that the dechurched is also important. The unchurched is, is crucial. Seeing lost people come to know Jesus is absolutely, utterly crucial, and, and we believe that any new church should want to do that. That's, that should be the main focus and the goal is to see non-believers come to know the Lord. However, we also felt led to say, we want to be a church for the dechurched as well, the least, the last, and the lost. And we've seen several salvations over the month, months and even got to share in a few baptisms a few months ago. We've got a few more probably coming up soon. But the dechurched reach has actually been, I think, our strongest, which, which I wasn't expecting, to be honest, even though I felt like this was kind of a, a, an area that God, that God placed on us, a, a vision that God allowed us to have to, to reach those who have felt hurt by church, law, that, that have felt you know, alienated or put out by the church. We, we felt like that is an area, but I didn't believe right away uh, that that was going to be our biggest opportunity of growth. I honestly thought that we would see more growth from the unchurched community. I mean, statistically, new church plants see upwards of 90% of, of their new growth from unchurched people. And so we kind of were leaning into that statistic and thought that was the way that it was going to go. So that's what I was expecting. But so many of you out here would probably fall into that category of, of de-churched. You've been away from church or even away from God for 5, 10, 15 years maybe. I've heard so many uh, stories and conversations and talked to so many of you that have just not had a church home, not felt like you had a place to belong for so long. Maybe this is the first place you've ever belonged. You've known Jesus for a while, but this is the first place you've ever said, I'm going to give this a try, this, this idea of, of church, of doing life with other people and together. You felt hurt by the church before, alienated by church people, let down by church leaders. If that's you, we're glad you're here, and we hope to be a place of healing, a place of, of spiritual restoration. There's no pretension here, no religiosity, just real people asking real questions, seeking a real God. That's what we hope to be. We're in this together. So I think we're hitting that first pillar well, and we would encourage you to continue to invite your friends, your families, your coworkers uh, that might fall into those categories, either to church or missional community or even just to your house to connect on a real level. Now, now the other two pillars, I think, are the things that we really want to focus in on this summer, and we really want to move forward uh, and ramp up. So one of those is the next generation. I believe wholeheartedly that the success of the local church relies uh, on, the, that the success of the local church relies on the next generation raising up, equipping, and empowering the next generation generation to become the next leaders of the church. I believe that if your church is not pouring into the next generation, then your church is quite honestly dying. All right, we want to do that. So uh, this doesn't mean that we're wanting to just be a church for young people. No, we want to be a three-generational church without a doubt. We need seasoned believers that can impart wisdom and knowledge on the younger generation. We need that. We need people that can disciple new believers. We need men and women that have, that have made their share of mistakes and can help guide the next generation away from those mistakes, am I right? Like, we need that. But make no mistake, reaching the next generation is crucial, and it's a huge priority. I believe this starts with legacy kids and littles on Sunday morning, and this moves into legacy students and even college later. So let me just throw this out there, and I have to apologize uh, to my team for what I'm about to say because I told them they cannot say this. Um, we need people that can and want to love on kids and share Jesus with them on their level on Sunday mornings. 
Let me ask you this. How can we be a church that says we're for the next generation if we're not willing to take 75 minutes on Sunday morning to go serve the next generation like once a month? That's just what I would ask. Now, I told the staff they couldn't do this because I, I didn't want to allow them to guilt anyone to serving on any team. Okay? Not just kids, any team. You see, from the beginning, we want to operate a little differently than other churches in regard to our Sunday serve teams. I believe that people will serve better, all right? They will, they will get more out of it, and they will have more longevity as a team member if they're serving in an area or areas where they, that they actually like, that they actually feel used, that they actually feel, feel like they, they belong, okay? Uh, we do believe that, and, and we've, we've moved to that end. We honestly don't want anyone to be in the kids' areas that do not like kids, it wouldn't be good for the kids. It, it would be noticed by the parents, and it would make you want to quit serving altogether. So, but I would ask many of you this morning to search your hearts and to see if you would be willing to start equipping and empowering the next generation right here on Sunday mornings. Again, please make sure you like kids. It's crucial. If you want to do that, you can reach out to Lauren or Jen, uh, or you can talk to Brandon Dean. He's our executive director, and he helps get people placed um, and, and their perfect Sunday serve teams is kind of one of his duties. So let's make sure that we're practicing what we preach right here on Sunday morning. So let's make sure that we're actually serving the next generation. And so I just encourage you, if that's you, step into that role. See how you can help out. All right, let's, let's, make, let's make these 75 minutes that kids are here in the house of God the best 75 minutes of the week. So along the lines of the next generation, we're also planning to ramp up student missional communities. Uh, that's going to be exciting heading into the fall, and we're also planning to have a college one as well, uh, in addition to trying to get on campuses as much as possible and reaching that next generation on the older level as well. So finally, and I promise we're going to get to the word together in a moment, the third pillar that I mentioned at the very beginning was serving our city. Our, 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 our mission, our, our vision statement, the one statement that we have, you know, there's different mission, vision, all these other whatever. Our one statement is that we are, we are for God and his kingdom. We are for people and the city. That's, that's part of our overarching mission. We even put legacy city, the cities in the title because we believe that God has planted us in the city for a purpose, for a reason. Again, we cannot claim to be about the city and for the city if we're not actually getting out of our little bubbles to serve the city. All right, this is not a rebuke. None of this is meant to be a rebuke. I'm just passionate about the vision of this church, the vision that I believe that God gave me and then confirmed in other people as we got ready to launch this church. And I think that if we can get these things right, if we can do the things that we're talking about, we will stand out in this community, not because we meet in a movie theater or because we do like three-minute pour-over coffees. We stand, we'll, we'll stand out because we'll actually be changing and impacting the city. We were serving uh, the Habitat Restore, a group of us guys uh, were serving the Habitat Restore several months back. It was pre pre-launch, I think it was maybe like September or something of last year, and, and we were there, and we were, we were knocking it out. I mean, we were taking care of business, and, uh, and I think we'd been there about, about three hours or so, and, um, and I kind of overheard a conversation uh, near me where, where Rob, he was the guy in charge, uh, he told the volunteer coordinator that we've done good and that he's sure we probably are ready to head out at this point. And, and she, uh, she responded by telling him that we're not like other groups, that, that our goal was to come and to help them get ready for this fundraiser event that they had later on 
and that, that we were going to stay until it was done. You see, they, they're very used to having groups come in that are just there for service hours, community service. They're, they're just there to like uh, essentially even do the bare minimum in order just to get through the morning and get, get things done. They weren't used to having a group come in that said, hey, we are for you and we want to see your ministry succeed. And we're going to go above and beyond to do that. They weren't used to that, but they recognized that, that hey, this group is a little different. They're not quite like the groups that we're used to. We were standing out because we were pursuing the vision and the mission of the church. We were trying to serve them and not ourselves. And in doing that, we were actually serving Christ. Okay, I have to get in the word here. So let me encourage you to listen up uh, at the end of the day. Blake's going to share a few opportunities uh, of how to serve, where to serve, how to get plugged in. Again, we just want, this isn't, there's not a serve team, okay? There's not like, we don't have an outreach team here. We don't have like uh, a missions team. We believe that, that outreaching into the community, pouring into the community, serving the city is wrapped into every single thing that we do. It's, it's a part of everything. Our missional communities, our small groups, they're, they're missional in nature because we want to see other people come in and, and get to know the Lord through those groups. Whether they ever come in here on Sunday morning or not, that doesn't matter to me. What matters to me is that they're growing in, in Christ and they're, they're, they're hearing the name of Jesus. What matters to me is that we're serving them and we're pouring out to them and we're loving on them. So every aspect of what we do should be missional in nature. So let me encourage you just to, to figure out maybe what it is that you need to do, how you need to plug in and serve. Um, Blake's going to give a couple of, of opportunities, uh, but let's, let's serve the city. Let's be the church that serves the city. Let's do that here. So, okay, uh, title for today, Submission and Suffering. Woohoo! <laughs> Exciting stuff. Submission and suffering. I know that's not as nice sounding as the last few on holy living and holy identity and hope is alive. And uh, we've kind of hit on some nice ones, but this one's not as nice, uh, I know, sounding right away. Uh, but I hope in these moments to show you that both of these are valuable. They are part of the plan of God for your life, and they are part of how God intends to use you in this world. Now, to the group in this auditorium, me talking about submission, if I would, be, I would venture to guess that it's probably like rubbing a cat's fur the wrong way. If you have a cat, you know they don't like that. Does it, you have a cat, and that's right. Cats don't like that, right? I don't have a cat, but I've heard that that's a thing. Okay, they don't like that. All right, good. My dog could care less. You can rub him any which way you please. It doesn't matter. Uh, he's still going to try to put his butt on you and, you know, get you to scratch it. So um, that's really all he's about. Why is submission... And why is submission such a word that we hate? Why is this something that kind of just like gets us up in arms, gets us ready to fight? Those are fighting words. Submission. You want me to submit? That's fighting words. Okay. So four reasons. I think there's four reasons. Uh, and I'm going to give you these. These are just opinion. Uh, number one, uh, we're all sons and daughters of Adam, the original rebel, right? That it's built into our DNA. That's just who we are as humans, as people. We uh, don't like to submit. We rebel. Uh, we, we rebel against the rules, against the status quo. Uh, number two, we're Americans. America. And rebellion is literally part of our national identity. It's, it's how we came to be. If you didn't know this, now you know. It's how we came to be. We came to be by rebelling, and we generally think that that's a good thing. 
whether it was or not, I don't know. Uh, hence the fireworks cookout celebration that will be had over this 4th of July week. Uh, so now we like to rebel against just about anything that we can. Just to, you know, I don't know why we do it, but we do it. You want to keep in practice in case the real need to rebel presents itself again. I don't know. In case the redcoats come back, we want to be ready. Number three, the value we place on the freedom of speech seems to foster rebellion. All right, the culture of, of open, free speech makes us talk about all the authorities like they're idiots. You hear this when you listen to talk radio, podcasts, you see it in the news, you read it in the papers, you hear people talk about politicians like they are absolute idiots. You especially see it when you get on Facebook or Twitter or Reddit, social media, the place where all the collective wisdom of the universe gathers, am I right? It's all about how President Trump is ruining this or how it was already ruined by the Obama administration. Casual political pundits launch their two cents in from their couches. If they just do everything the way that I want them to do it, it would be all right. Our belief in the freedom of speech makes us revel in trashing the authorities. Don't get me wrong. I love the freedom of speech, but it just feeds a culture that frankly despises authority. And number four, we're post-1960s. This is where rebellion basically came a civic virtue. In some ways, that can be good. Civil rights came out of that. That's good. In other ways, not so good. Dropping acid and rebelling against deodorant. Those are bad things. People did that in the 60s. Look, my whole point is that insubordination is now a part of our cultural ethos. All right, it's the air that we breathe. We don't even, you don't even know it, but you are post-1960s American sons and daughters of Adam, and you like to rebel. So let's look at what the word says about submission. We're in 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 13 here this morning. We'll, we'll read through today's text, and then we'll talk about it as we go. Remember, we're attempting to walk through this book of the Bible verse by verse, so there will be sometimes, uh, sometimes there's going to be points to write down. Uh, some, some Sundays, I'm going to have like a couple of key points as it all lines up, and then sometimes you're just going to have to write down what's interesting or important to you as we go. Today will be the latter. So, no points, just write down things as the Holy Spirit speaks to you. So we're going to read through this. Uh, we're, we're not going to read through the whole thing together. We're just going to kind of start at the beginning, and we're going to take it verse by verse and walk our way down. Uh, so starting in verse 13, be subject to the Lord's, for the Lord's sake, uh, to every human institution. Which ones? Every. Every human institutions, parents, teachers, bosses, government leaders, even leaders in your church where they have rightful authority. Man, we do not like to hear that. As a society in a day and age where people use the hashtag, hashtag not my president, we do not like to hear that we're supposed to submit to every human institution, every authority that's been put in our lives. It goes on, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors. <clears throat> Here's what's significant. Do you know who the emperor was at this time? 
you don't have to answer it, but if you feel like feel the need to shout something out, go for it. Uh, so th- depending on your timeline of when this was written, and, and there's, a, there's about 10 years, I guess about 10 or 12 years uh, discrepancy of, as to when it was written, but depending on the timeline, uh, it could have been Claudius, uh, who by any and all estimation was an idiot, and, and he was basically totally dominated by the special interest groups around him at that time. And then after that, it was no better. It was Nero, uh, and his first act of lunacy was defying Claudius, of course. And then he developed his theory that his mom was trying to assassinate him, so he poisoned her. Uh, Good guy. Uh, And then he thought himself to be a musician. I love this story about him. He thought he was a musician, and so he would make his whole court listen to him play. Um, the, the historian, uh, there was a historian who said that he played for so long that women would fake going into labor <laughs> just so they could get out of that jam session. I mean, that's a rough jam session. That's a rough jam session. Then he went off the deep end, started killing Christians as a blood sport, and uh, things got rough. There's, there's a story that basically says while Rome was, he, he set a fire and watched Rome burn from his palace balcony, just kind of watched it burn and like ate popcorn or something. I don't know what he was doing, but uh, he was quite a guy. Now, these guys were not pillars of equality and justice, all right? They were not pillars of equity and godliness, but at this time, in these moments, right in this situation, Peter is telling the church, the people of God, to submit to those authorities. Be subject to them, even those occupied by ungodly people. People always ask, though, well, what about civil disobedience? And they use some great examples. Boston Tea Party, the the MLK, and and the civil rights movement. And while I appreciate those examples, let's be honest, most of you aren't in those situations. We're not being taxed by a foreign government without representation right now. We're not. Regardless of what you believe, we're not. You have elected leaders that go and vouch for you and speak on your behalf. Martin Luther King, he, he wrote this thing, he did these letters from Birmingham jail, and, and he explained in those that they tried to obey every law that they could, every law, and they disobeyed peaceably the ones that they felt like were egregiously unjust. Peter says, obey the laws, respect the authorities, pay your taxes, Every so often, I'll find myself in a conversation with someone who tries to offer an argument about why we shouldn't have to pay taxes. No civil disobedience does not apply to you, if that's your thought process. Somebody recently tried to explain to me why South Carolina should finally legalize marijuana. It was a Christian. I've heard this from non-Christians, but it was a Christian. Said, and and they, they went on and they gave two verses. Uh, one was Genesis 1.12, and every seed-bearing plant uh, that the Lord gave is good. Okay. And then Matthew 7, 3, thou shalt not judge. <laughs> so naturally, weed must be legal. I don't know. Maybe you're right. I don't know. But it's not, so you are to submit. It's kind of where I left the conversation. Do you see the phrase there? For the Lord's sake. Church, when you disobey an authority... God views it as disobedience to him. Some of you in this room are out of fellowship with God because you are in rebellion to God-ordained authorities in your life. That's an unpopular statement. But it's probably true. That probably applies to somebody in this room. Yes, Peter understood justified civil disobedience. 
we've talked about this before. We talked about the very beginning of the book when we got into this, uh, this, this, this book a few, several weeks back. We said that he's going to end up being crucified upside down by the state for refusing to stop preaching the gospel. But that's not the situation most of you are in. Let's do a heart check for a moment. For many of you, your problem with submission to earthly authorities is really a problem with authority in general. I believe that's true. You, you, you just don't like anybody telling you what to do, including God. Let's face the music for a second. You grew up with parents and teachers telling you what to do. You were so ready to get out of that situation. Then you moved on to bosses and, and government telling you what to do. You don't like it. Now, now those people are all here on earth. I saw the blue just hit me in the eyes there. It's okay. Technical difficulties. You just don't like it. You don't like, so, so here's what happens. All of those other people are here on earth, right? All of those other people are right here. And, and so what we tend to do, I think, that, I think this is how it works. We tend to rebel against the one person that we feel like is the furthest away, although he's not, and that person is God. And if that's you, you will not truly be able to know God that way. You're not going to be able to know God that way. He is known only in absolute surrender and submission. Some of you, I think, act like you want to know God, but you're not actually willing to go follow through with what God says. God is the almighty God, and if you don't approach him in submission and surrender, friends, you won't actually get to know him at all. We are to submit to all authorities, submit to all of them. Peter gives you two reasons why we're to obey in these next verses. Verse 14, uh, as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. What's he saying here? These are, these are institutions that are ordained by God. They were sent. It says they were sent uh, to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do. These are institutions ordained by God. These institutions are part of what we call common grace. They're the common grace institutions left by God, even in a fallen world, in order to keep order, to keep order. In this verse, Peter tells us why God established the authorities. He's established them to do two things, to, to punish wrong and to commend right. Okay? And then in verse 15, he gives us another, reasons why, another reason why we're to obey. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you shall put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. He's telling us that our humble submission to authority and civic goodness are God's ordained way of putting to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Remember, Peter's been talking about your conduct in light of your new citizenship here on earth, right? We talked about the very beginning. We are exiles on this earth. We are, we are sojourners. We are foreigners here on this earth. Our home is not here. Our citizenship is actually in heaven. But while we were here, while we are citizens of this earth, we are to conduct ourselves in an acceptable way. He fleshes this out a little bit in the next verses. Verse 16, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. That's a loaded verse. Ready to think with me for a second? Why do most people submit? Submit because they have to. Right? If you think about why, why do you submit to the speed limit? Because you have to. Because if you don't, you're going to get pulled over, and then you got to pay a large fine and eventually get your license taken away if you keep doing it. Like, you have to. 
That's why most people, so that's why I think everybody submits. You submit so that you don't get punished or you submit so you have, because you have something to gain. Peter says, as a Christian, as a Christian, you're free of both. You no longer fear what the government can do to you. You're not even afraid of the government taking your life because if they take your life from you like they did with Peter, you'll face that with God right beside you. As Paul says, to live as Christ and to die is gain. No longer do you obey because it's the way to get ahead because now you trust God to take care of your needs. So you are free from the worldly captivities that seek to entangle and imprison us. And now you have a new motivation. You are servants of God and you submit to human laws for God's sake, for the gospel's sake. I hope you're tracking with me, church. This is tough in our current global and national political climate. But I also think that makes it more important than ever. Verse 17, he continues, honor everyone. I, lo- I love verse 17. It's like just, just, four, uh, just four pounding verses. Honor everyone. The world honors people because you get something in return from them. Not the believer. The believer honors them because they are made in the image of God. There are some places where the customer service is, is, is just amazing. It's second to none. It's unbelievable. Disney World, great customer service. Hyatt Hotels, great customer service. Chick-fil-A, great customer service. I feel honored when I go to those places. Like an honored guest. But I always have to realize that they are doing that because they want my money. They're honoring me because they want something from me. They want something in return. <gasps> Not Chick-fil-A. <laughs> Not Christian chicken. They really do love me. They also have a bottom line. He goes on. I'm, we're going to read a, a large verse, a large chunk here. Uh, and this will kind of be our last little bit before we jump back into some worship. It says this in verse 18, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? You deserve it, right? But if when you do good and suffer for it, if you suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. I wish we could spend just another 30 minutes just on that chunk there, but we only have a few more moments. So, so Christ had two things. Faith in God's ultimate judgment. Paul tells believers uh, not to take vengeance, but to leave room for the wrath of God. God is a God of justice. Let me ask you this. Do you understand what hell is? Hell is the ultimate righting of all wrongs. Church, people's sins will be paid back in only one of two places. Hell or the blood of Jesus. Those are the only two ways that our sins will be paid back. But we don't have to take that responsibility on ourselves. That's what Christ did. He entrusted himself to God. The only way some of you will escape the bitterness and the insane urge to get back at people is to learn this fact. 
verse verse 24, he himself bore our sins on his body, uh, in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. The second thing that Christ had is love for us. He loves us. He loved and loves us. He suffered in our place. He died voluntarily. Jesus is the only one who has ever voluntarily died. You say, well, that's not true. Some people have died voluntarily for great causes. No. They might have chosen the moment or, or maybe even the means by which they died, but they did not choose the fact of their death. They already had to die. Jesus is the only person to die who never had to die, but he chose to do it anyway. Peter says we were rebels who had resisted authority, the servants who rebelled against our rightful master, the unjust ones who rejected the rightful rule of God. Jesus uh, was the Lord who submitted to death, the master who became a servant, the rightful ruler who suffered our injustice. But by submitting to our injustice, he redeemed us. And now we should do likewise. Now we take his posture toward others to redeem them. You see, by his wounds you have been healed. Verse 25, the last verse for, the, for this morning. For you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. This is how he awoke us from our sins. This is how God uses us to awake others. How does, how does God use you to bring other straying ones home? I think it's partly by the way you suffer. show you have a faith in God's justice that is greater than this world. A joy that is imperishable, that can't be touched by the threats of this world, and a selfless love for others that is beyond the reach of this world. There's so much stuff I have to skip in these verses, but I need to close. Let me close this way with one very important observation, especially for those of you who might have a hard time believing in Christianity. What you see time and time again from these pages, from the pages of 1 Peter, what you see is on every page, it runs through every verse, is that Peter really believed in the resurrection. Peter bases his whole hope on the fact that Jesus really was raised from the dead. Jesus really is in control, and something happened on Calvary that redefined everything that we know. So the hope of all of this is in the resurrection. Place your hope in it because it's the strength to do all these things that we're talking about, the strength to, to surrender, the strength to submit, the strength to suffer. All comes from the cross, from the resurrection. Look, I know some of you are suffering. Unjust things are happening to you. I'm not telling you not to say anything. Sometimes you need to. I am saying to suffer well. And in your suffering, show that you have a hope that suffering cannot touch. A love that goes beyond anything the world knows. Let's submit well and let's suffer well, as Peter tells us to do. I want to encourage you just to, to pray with me for a moment. We're going to worship some more uh, before we close out. songs we're going to do before we wrap up. We've got communion in the middle. I want to encourage you to step over there and do that at some point if, if you haven't already and you'd
you'd like to go by yourself or with your family, but I'm also just going to kind of be in that middle section. And if you want to talk, if you want to pray, I'd love to pray with you. Maybe you don't understand this idea of submission because you've never submitted to the authority of Christ a day in your life. Maybe, maybe as you think about it, you're not sure that you're even a believer at all. As we've talked about this morning, God's faithfulness, as we've, as we've sung about God's faithfulness and we've talked about how, how God is the God to be honored and the God to be feared and, and you're just, you can't wrap your head around those things and you want to talk to somebody, I'll love to talk with you and pray with you. God, I want to pray over the, the people in this room right now as we have opened your word and as we've read uh, the scriptures, the living, holy word that you've left us. Holy Spirit, as you've been moving and speaking to us in this place, God, I pray that these next moments, as we respond in whatever way we need to respond, maybe our response is that we just need to be still and listen to you for a few moments. Maybe our response is we need to drop the chains that have been holding us down, and we need to worship you with reckless abandon here in this house. Maybe our response is that we need to come to you for the very first time or come back to you after a several-month-year hiatus. Whatever it is, God, I pray that we will use this time to respond in the appropriate way. Holy Spirit, lead us in what you would want us to do. We give you these moments. We love you so much. Amen.